so we're starting or continuing on in uh, week three of our series, Come Holy Spirit or Charism, depending on, on the thing you see up on the board there. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to, turn to, turn to whatever that word was. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll go verse 8 through 10. We're not going to read it all, uh, but verse 8 through 10 talks about the, the gifts of the Spirit, particularly what they call the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, these aren't all of the gifts. There are other gifts given in different areas where Paul points them out, but specifically he lines out nine, one after another. This is the bedrock for the supernatural and for the Holy Spirit and for his moving in our life. And he lists out the gifts in this way. There's a word of wisdom. There's a word of knowledge. There's a gift of faith. There's a gift of healings. There's a gift of miracles. There's a gift of prophecy. There's a gift of distinguishing between the spirits to know and judge the spirit. There's a gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Okay, so those are the gifts. Those are the nine gifts lined up. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to go one, verse 1 through verse 4. But we have this concept that we understanding the gifts of the Spirit, we comprehend the idea of a mystery. That through the gifts of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is giving a mystery, God's mystery to his people. He starts out with this. He says, first, pursue love, yet desire earnestly the spiritual gifts, but especially that you might prophesy. For one who speaks in tongues does not speak to men, but to God, for, the one who under, uh, for no one understands. But in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. The one who speaks in tongues edifies himself, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. So here's Paul trying to teach a group of people just like us. He's drilling down into the nitty-gritty of these gifts. God's given us gifts. A few of the gifts that he mentions there are tongues, prophecy, and interpretation of tongues. Now, the idea of the gift of tongues, many of you might think is very mystical, very weird, very strange, and it is to some extent. The gift of tongues is actually what Paul talked about first in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, what we know as the love chapter. And he says in his poem, he says, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a clanging cymbal, a resounding gong. He says literally in his poem on love that there is a language spoken in heaven that you and I are not familiar with. It's not English. It's not the language that we are accustomed to. He says that heaven's shroud will be pulled away and though I have the gift to speak in the language of men and in the language of angels. He moves on in chapter 14. He says, if I speak with a tongue, no one's going to understand except for God. But I speak mysteries. Then he links this concept with this gift of prophecy. But the one who prophesies, because he speaks in a known language, he speaks to the congregation. And in speaking to the congregation, men are edified, they're exhorted, they're, they're consoled. So we have this breakdown, and this is where I want to start for the next two weeks. This idea of the gifts in operation in our life. What are they? How do they work? How do, how do we exercise the gifts? For some of you, this is old hat. For some of you, this is new. For some of you, it'll be a new perspective. First, let's talk about prophecy. He says three words there. Edification, exhortation, and consolation. Edification, the act of building up, constructive criticism, and instruction uh, that builds a person up to be a suitable dwelling place for God. 
The first thing that we have to understand when we are speaking prophetically, it's not about telling the world what future events are to come. It's a personal thing for you personally. In fact, when God designed the office of a prophet and that prophet was in the Old Testament and he was speaking to God's people, the first thing that prophet did, as Susan read from the minor prophets, the first thing he did was an act of building, constructive criticism. I've got to bring you into the right place. I've got to bring you into balance. You're not where God wants you. Come, come here. Come closer to the will of God so that you can be a suitable instrument for God's dwelling place. Then the next thing he does as a prophet, he teaches us, is that he exhorts. This is evidence that stands up in God's court. He exhorts. If you read the prophets, you see that they exhorted God's people. You are called of God. You are the apple of God's eye. You are God's chosen ones. He exhorts them with evidence that will literally stand up in the court of heaven. Same thing's true for us when we prophesy here today in our given language. We start off in edification. Okay, come on. You got to come back to where God's called you. Come back to that purpose. Come back to that center place. Make him first and foremost in your life. And then he moves on to exhortation that we should give a word of encouragement. A fact, not fiction. A fact of who we are in Christ. A fact of who we are in our potential as we stand as those who are heirs to the throne that we are exhorted that we can be all that God has called us to be, that we can do all that God has called us to do. And then thirdly, he says, consolation, to comfort with the greatest degree of care. So if anyone ever says they are going to prophesy over you, you go in the parking lot, someone apprehends you, says, come on, i got a word for you, brother, I want to prophesy over you. And all they do is tell you this bright, beautiful future. You know, I've noticed when the parking lot prophecies happen, Nobody ever pulls you aside and says, hey, you're a jerk and you need to fix it. It's always awesome. It's always like way up here, like these super heady thoughts of, well, man, God's going to bless your life and tomorrow he's going to drop a Mercedes in your driveway. Well, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That's nothing in the scriptures as to how Paul teaches how we should prophesy. He says, listen, edification, bring them to the center. And then after you edify them, exhort them, tell them who they are in Christ. Tell them to the potential they have in Jesus. Show them what it is to live out the purpose and plan of God. And then console them. Let them know that there's a great degree of care that comes from heaven. Right down, right smack in the middle of their everyday life. We see this true in the Old Testament prophets. There's a story of a school of prophets. They literally used to have a school of people where they taught them how to hear God's voice and to prophesy and to do what the scripture's teaching us. The school of the prophets is busy working and a young man has an ax that's not his, it's borrowed. He's chopping away at a tree with his ax. The ax head falls off and falls into the water. And in a miraculous feat, the leader of the prophetic school comes over I don't know what he does, says some words about God and how faithful he is and proves the power of God. We don't really understand all the details in the story, but that ax head starts to float towards the top. Water, metal, shouldn't happen. It's the miraculous. This young man was, he was so, he, he, was, he was just beside himself that he would lose something that wasn't his and how's he gonna pay for it? He's part of this school, he doesn't have extra money Leader comes over, no big deal, praise to God, the axe head floats to the top, puts the axe head on, goes back to work. Now many of us would think, wow, there's got to be some 
awesome, some amazing, like, nuanced truth that comes out of that story. You know what the nuanced truth is? That story is put right in the middle of national news. It's as if you were to open the New York Times, and in the middle of national news was a story about your life and the problem you had this week and how God came through and fixed the issue. God uses this to exemplify what prophecy is. He uses the story of the axe head. Not to teach us anything about, people have have gone crazy and said the axe head is synonymous with the word of God because later on the sword is used as a word of God and it's an instrument tool and it's used to cut. And if you don't use the tool right, it'll fall off. But if you pray and get back with connection with God, God will put the axe head back on. And that all sounds good and it preaches well, but it has nothing to do with the context of that scripture. What that scripture is teaching us is how to prophesy that in the middle of our mess, God is concerned about you. In the middle of national news, God is concerned about your everyday life. And there are people who hear from God straight from heaven to their heart that have for you a gift packaged perfectly. It's exhortation. It's edification. It's consolation. That if you come to them, the issues of your life, and God will speak to you in the same way, but the issues of your life, God will pull back the shade of heaven and show you just who you are. He'll bring you back to center, and he'll show you your promised future. This is what it is to prophesy. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 5, it goes on and he says, Now I wish all of you spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may receive edification. So here's Paul. He's talking about gifts, some supernatural gifts, gifts like an axe head floating to the top of the water, gifts that need God's presence to be realized and actualized in our life. And he says, listen, I would rather you all speak in tongues. I need it to happen. I want you to understand this spiritual gift to pull back heaven's shade and to experience the language that comes from heaven that literally is the tongue of angels. I want you to experience that. But before you do that, I really want you to understand prophecy. I want you to understand what it is for you personally to hear from heaven a word for somebody else so that you can look at their everyday scenario, their everyday life. You can speak to the issues of their life. You can edify them. You can exhort them can give them consolation. And he says, here's why, because if some of you get to speaking in tongues, unless there's, unless there's an interpretation, unless someone tells the hearer what heaven is saying, well, they're the only ones that are going to be edified. But if you prophesy, the whole church is edified. Moves on here in verse six. But now brethren, If I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak either in a way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? He says, listen, we could speak in this heavenly language, this miraculous language. He says, but it's not going to do you any good. It won't do you any good in a public setting unless, unless there's revelation, unless there's some type of knowledge, unless there's prophecy or teaching, unless this is backed by something practical, we can, we can assume the supernatural all day. In fact, this group of people was so in tune with the supernatural. They were so much in that mystical cloud of people that Paul had to bring them back to earth and center them. In fact, what he was doing in the scriptures is much of prophecy. He's pulling them back to the center of where God would have them. 
Paul is lining out this idea that there are public gifts and private gifts. Paul is lining out the context of the gifts. That when we speak in tongues, generally that's for us. Unless there's an interpretation. You might have the interpretation or somebody else might, but that's up to God and how he moves amongst his people. And then there are public gifts like prophecy. That any time that we speak prophetically, it's good for the hearer. It's good for the church. It's good for us to understand that God is speaking directly here and now today. Not that he doesn't speak through his word, but he can speak through his vessels, you and I as well. The idea is simple, that in the public space, when a private gift is given, it has to start first with, with revelation. Then there must be an understanding or knowledge. Then there must be prophecy and then teaching. So if a private gift, if speaking in tongues, is ever to become part of a community event, like right now, if God were to show up, blazing tongues of fire hit, and all of a sudden you all start speaking a language you've never learned before, you've never heard before, it's not common to your ears, and you're like, where did that come from? That was super weird. There's a reason. God wants to first bring revelation, a revelation of who his spirit is. Second, knowledge that you understand. You're, you're not outside the bounds of normalcy. In Christianity, sometimes the supernatural happens. And when it happens, it might fly in the face of everything we understand as natural. And when that happens, we learn to prophesy. We build each other up. We understand that with this supernatural meeting heaven, that in that moment, it gives us an opportunity to peer into God's purpose and plan and direction. And then we teach on it. We give a way for someone to give a word, an instruction, a teaching that says this is where God is going. So, God, so, so Paul is setting up a pattern, setting up a pattern so that we don't get crazy with the gifts. And again, this church was going off the rails at times. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're going to read verse 7 through 12, a little bigger portion of scripture. But he, he, he starts to encapsulate the teaching a little more. He says this, uh, yet even... <clears throat> Yet even lifeless things, either the flute or the harp, is producing a sound. And if you don't know the distinction in the tone, how will it be known what is played on the flute or the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also with you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known to to what you are speaking. For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, but, one is, but not one is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be like those who speak like a barbarian. And the one who speaks will be like a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Now, he's talking to a church like any other church in America. He's talking to a church like any church we would see on the side of the road. And he's giving a balance to the things of the Spirit, to supernatural instances amongst our congregations. He's saying, at first, understand the supernatural is real, the heavenly language is real. You can experience things that are so miraculous that they fly in the face of the natural. And then he moves on and says, and this is how you do this. First, understand prophecy is really important. It's important that we edify, that we build each other up, that we bring each other back to center, that we console each other in anything that we're doing. 
And then he moves on and says this very supernatural activity, if it doesn't happen in a public setting for the purpose of edifying the entire group, then it doesn't have a purpose at all. He equates it to instruments and he says, listen, if I can't distinguish the sound of a harp against a flute, how will I know what to play? If we can't distinguish the, the piano against a guitar, how will the band even know what to play? It'll be a muffled sound. It won't make sense. He says later, if we can't distinguish the sound of the bugle or the trumpet, how will we be known, how will we know when we are called to battle? They were hoping for that shofar to be blown and that God's people would war against the armies of earth and that God's people would have their reign, their rule, and their dominion. And he says, you are waiting for that sound, but if that sound doesn't come in a distinct way, you won't even know whether or not to, to grab your battle gear. So also, unless the tongue is spoken clearly, so also unless the people know, unless the people know what's being spoken, how will they understand what God's purpose is? So here's my point. If you think that everyone in every case should just stand up and start shouting and screaming in tongues, you've got to come back to this scripture. There has to be a purpose for it. I'm not against it. And I'm not saying it doesn't happen from time to time in different ways and different means in the church and in our church services. What I am saying is that it has to be for a purpose and that when that purpose comes, we need to teach on that purpose. What is God doing in the group? What is God doing amongst the believers? Now I am saying this, if we shout and show off the miraculous for nothing more than to make ourselves look good, you have diminished the whole purpose of the gift, you have ruined your influence, and the people that aren't experiencing the gift the way that you are, they're not gonna be drawn into what God is doing. They're gonna feel left behind, they're gonna feel shut out. Now, why is this so important? Because the gifts of God, the gifts of the Spirit are supernatural. Every gift of God that is supernatural is also sovereign. It is at his distinct will and pleasure in how they operate. They are given as supernatural, they are given as sovereign. However, they are at our disposal. Those, those two first distinctions, many people will say that's the reason I haven't experienced. God hasn't given and he is sovereign and it is holy and therefore I don't wanna move in any way that would come against the holiness and sovereign nature of God. Wrong, wrong. Because what does he say at the beginning of our of, of our chapter today. He says, pursue love, yet desire earnestly the spiritual gifts. Pursue love. Why does he say that? He just got out of his love poem. He wanted to focus at the hinge point of doing anything under the gifts of the Spirit, anything under the Spirit of God and his power should be centered on love. And then once you've mastered the idea of love and the Holy Spirit shows up and the supernatural is released in our life, make sure that you are pursuing all the spiritual gifts. And when you pursue them, they will happen. And it's, it's our human nature to get caught up in the miraculous. It's our human nature to get caught up in the divine. It's our human nature to get caught up and to be what Paul says is, you are so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good that your head's way up in the clouds. Paul says, no, no, come back to a practical level. If you're gonna speak in tongues, you better prophesy with it. You better teach people what you're saying. If you're gonna speak in tongues, there better be an interpretation. If you're gonna speak in tongues in mass, it better encourage and edify the whole group. Otherwise, you're just doing this to show off and for yourself. And it's a rebuke almost that Paul gives, but he puts himself in the center. If I come to you and I do these things, you know that I'll be out of order. One of the most basic laws of spiritual life 
is that you become like what you worship. You become like what you worship. Let me explain something. When Paul lists out these gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8 through 10, when he says there's a gift of wisdom, it's because God is wise. When he says there's a gift of knowledge, it's because our God knows all things. When he says there's a gift of faith, it's because our God is the originator of all faith. When he says there's a gift of healing, it's because our God is a healer. When he says there's miraculous gifts, it's because our God is a miracle worker. When he says there's a gift of prophecy, it's because our God wants to edify. He wants to console. He wants to build you up. When he says there's a distinguishing of spirits gift, it's because our God wants to parse ways so that you know what is his will and that you know what is of this world. When he says that there's a gift of tongues, it's because our God is supernatural and he is heavenly bound. And because he is in heaven, there's a language of heaven that even the angels speak that we're not necessarily privy to understand. And when he says there's an interpretation, it's because he's not going to leave anything secretive, that he will even show you the mysteries of heaven, which we read about, that we read he wants to do in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So when God sets these gifts up and he starts to give Paul the organizational factors on how they're to be used in our congregations, what is he saying? He's saying this very basic law is true. You become like what you worship. If you worship a supernatural God, you will have an opportunity for these supernatural things to be realized in your life. If you worship a God on paper only, you will only experience a God of paper. Does this make sense? If you're worshiping the true God and the creator of all things, the one whose image that we are made in, you should be developing these gifts in your life to some extent or another. You should be pursuing these gift, gifts to some extent or another. If you have your Bibles, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I'm going to jump you all the way down to verse 33. For God is not the God of confusion, but God of peace in all the churches of the saints. God is not a God of confusion, but he's a God of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, Paul was expecting a group of people who had misrepresented the gifts, he was expecting them to be pulled back into order like every other church that Paul was overseeing. That yes, the gifts would be vibrant, that the people would be seekers of these supernatural activities of God in their everyday life, but that they would be at peace, not warring amongst each other. Now what does this look like? Well, this looks like when our brother experiences something supernatural and we start to judge it. Oh, look at that idiot. Can't believe he'd act that way. He's crying in worship. What a sissy. God's touching his life and you're calling him a sissy in the back of your head. I would never do that. I'm never going to speak in tongues. Are you kidding me? That's some crazy stuff. Yet your sister over here so overwhelmed with the spirit and presence of God that what comes out is a literal secret of heaven, heavenly language. And another person interprets and we think that crazy person, that's just their pizza talking from last night. No, 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 no. It's the Holy Spirit coming out and it's not our job to judge but to be at peace with one another. As we read before when we started this series that God comes in and there's manifestations that we don't get to necessarily pick and decide which ones fit the mold that we would like to and that there's a way that God distributes gifts amongst his people and we don't get to decide how those gifts are given. 
Paul may be thinking at times that outsiders would conclude that Christianity was just another one of the various cults they saw amongst the Roman world in which people went into trances and they went into dances of ecstasy and they just jumped around and act like idiots. Paul was concerned. You could do that. You could get so crazed with even good supernatural outpourings of the Holy Spirit that you don't look any different than some crazy spiritualist that has no connection to God. And so he sets rules and says, here's the rules. Here's the pattern. Follow the rules. Why does he do that? So that the church would come and be at peace with one another. What does it look like then if the church is at peace in full function of the gifts? What it means is that when I have an issue and I know the gifts are prevalent, I know someone to go to in my life who's experiencing the gifts so that I can then in turn experience the benefit of the gift in my life. So if I'm sick and my body's broken, who do I run to in the church that's gifted of healing? That when they pray for people who are sick, that healing actually happens. We go to that person, pray with me. I'm sick, I need your help. When we're at a loss for what to do and we don't know the next step to take, we call on those who are gifted with wisdom. We ask them to pray for us and to hear from heaven and that God's wisdom might be deposited in our situation and we believe for an outcome that's greater than we would have seen on our own and with our own power. We believe that when we are totally away from God and we feel he is so very distant, that there are those who will speak in tongues proving the heavenly language here on earth and that there are those who are interpret so that we have the edification, exhortation and the consolation that we need in the moment that God will literally show us the miraculous through other individuals so that our life, our mission, our purpose will be furthered and not halted by what we go through. Listen, everything in the gifts is to move the body of Christ towards its mission. Everything in the gifts is not a restrictive manner. Sure, there's ways in which God said these things should operate. There's ways in which he instructed Paul to write down so that we don't get crazy. We don't become some hyper-spiritualist that literally has no earthly function. But we become those who are empowered of the Holy Spirit in our everyday context so that we know that when we speak, God's with us. So that when we know that when we act, God is with us. So that when we know that when we pray, God is with us. And these gifts become real and active in our life. Now, I've given you a lot of Bible, a lot of theory, a lot of philosophy there. I'll give you some personal examples in my own life. For me, when the first time I ever spoke in tongues, I heard someone speak like this, and I thought, dude's crazy. You tell me that there's somehow a heavenly language somewhere that's going to pop up and going to come out of my mouth, and I'm going to Shonda Ronda and who one time my bow tie? Like, you are nuts. Like, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I was at camp. I was 10 years old. I'm sitting on a swing at camp. Sitting on a swing and just by myself, minding my own business, but trying to mull over these thoughts. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Dude is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Like, I just, I don't, I don't think it's going to work. And I said, God, if this is you, I'm cool. Let's do it. And I thought, there's no way, you know. Ha ha. Nothing's going to happen. And I felt the stirring, like, right in my gut, man, like something, almost like you're panicked, but you're not, you're at peace, and like something's going on, and you like want to throw up, but you can't, like that kind of feeling, and something's stirring, and I'm like, uh, and I just keep praying, and all of a sudden, out of my mouth, like slowly started these syllables and words that I didn't understand, 
And I'm thinking, okay, now I'm crazy. Like, I bought into the magic. Now I'm the crazy one. You know, and it's continuing. And I, and I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything to my camp counselors. Didn't say, I come home, and I, we're sitting at McDonald's, and I'm with my mom and, and some friends. And I'm like, Mom, I think, I think at camp, like, I think that whole thing of, like, tongues and stuff, I think that's real. And I think it happened. And she's like, oh, my baby. You know how moms do, you know. <laughs> he experienced something cool, you know. But at that point, I didn't understand. I still didn't understand. I'm 10 years old. I didn't know what's going on. I didn't do much with it. It happened. It's cool. It was a moment. God intervened in my life. Cool, awesome. Didn't do much with it. It wasn't until later, until I was in high school, that I had an understanding even of what the gifts really were. Oh, yeah, I remember that time I was at camp and that thing happened and I felt weird and something came out of my mouth that wasn't English and I really didn't understand it. Yeah, yeah, that. That's what that was. Okay. Makes sense now. A little, bit, a little more sense to my life. And so time goes on and I learn to build and develop the gift. And even to the point now where it's not, it's almost secondary nature. I believe God's there. I believe he's inspiring. I believe God is sovereign in every moment that my mouth opens up and speaks of that language that is not mine. But it's not something that happened overnight. I'm talking 15 years of development where God moved piece by piece by piece, where God moved and inspired my heart, not because I was fearful, not because I was cut off and he had to apprehend me, not because I was hoping that someday, that thank God the miraculous would happen, I could show everybody how cool I was. No, I just trusted. God, this is what you have in my life, so this is what you're going to do. Say so in the same context, when I was playing football as a, as a high schooler, I got nailed in the side of the leg. You know, you ever get hit hard and your knee buckles in sideways? Well, that's what happened. It was one of the first times I really had a real injury, I'd pop my finger out, which is a stupid human trick I can do. Like, just pop, you can't see it, but I can pop my finger all sideways because I got stuck in a helmet. It was like hanging there, you know? That's gross. Anyway, so I got nailed in the side of the leg and just tore all the ligaments, you know, stretched them all out here, meniscal, meniscus tear, all kinds of things. It was messed up. And at that point, my family was knee-deep in a church like ours. We believe in healing. God can do anything. There's the miraculous. My dad's also a chiropractor, so that means you're a little crazy. And, you know, he's like, hey, we can pray to God that this changes. My mom and dad were believing with me. We can pray to God that he heals your leg, or you can go have surgery. If you go have surgery, it's going to take eight weeks. You're going to be out for the season, no matter what. Why don't we take that same time, pray and believe God, and we, you know, we'll do a little therapy and make sure the swelling stays down. And you know, it's, not a, it's not a dire straits thing. We can always fix it later. Okay, let's pray. Took the time to pray. Six weeks later, I'm underneath the squat rack, squatting heavy, heavy weight, because that knee is all healed, and I've never had issue with it since. And it's not like my trick knee, like when it rains, I get a little like burr feeling. It's just healed. God healed it. Now, there was another time in my life, many of you are aware, I tore two tendons off my, I tore both tendons off my, uh, my elbows, working out, lifting weights. I had been for years dealing with uh, tendonitis in my elbows, and I blew off the Holy Spirit and blew off God and said, nah, it's not a big deal, I'm just going to work through the pain. No pain, no gain. I'm going to work through it, sacrifice my body on the altar of iron. Well, I tore both tendons off, didn't listen to the Holy Spirit. In one instance, God healed because I listened to his voice, trusted his path. In another instance, I dismissed the voice of the Holy Spirit, said, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to get through that pain. I'm going to work hard. And I hurt myself. See, the difference is when the Holy Spirit is moving, because he is sovereign, he will tell you, shut up, pay attention. This is what I want to do. And often in our life, what we do is go, mm, I have a better idea. 
then we don't experience the miraculous that we're expecting. The gifts come up in our life. Word of wisdom comes up, and God says, speak to that person. I've got the answer to their riddle. And we go, God, let them figure it on their own, because I'm going to be really embarrassed if it doesn't come through. And God's expecting you to step out and do the miraculous. You know, there's going to be times where you goof up. There's going to be times where you miss it. You're going to speak for God, and it's not going to be real. And most of us are terrified of that moment. God, what if I say something and I don't agree with it? My favorite theologian, the, the leading New Testament theologian of our time, N.T. Wright, has said, 20% of what you preach and teach in 20 years you will think is wrong. This is the gentleman who has the, he has like the grip on New Testament theology. He is the guy everybody goes to now. And he even believes 20% in 20 years, yeah, you're going to miss it. He's just confident. We're humans. We're frail. We're not perfect. But we do our best to hear from God, to be led of God, to study the scriptures, to know the will and purpose and passion of God. And that when we know it, we step out and do what he's called us to do. We act how he's called us to act, even if it's stepping into the miraculous and you could miss it. But don't let the potential of failure steal away from you those moments that are miraculous. Because I can be honest, when God shows up and it's the miraculous, it'll blow your stinking mind. Bill and Robin aren't here because they're on a road trip, which is a miracle in itself. Bill and Robin are driving their granddaughter to, uh, I believe, Colorado. And Bill shouldn't be driving anywhere. Bill should be in a bed somewhere. As many of you know, he had a stroke not too long ago. Massive stroke. I got the call, talked to his wife, talked to uh, some of the emergency responders. They didn't think he was going to make it. They thought when he hits Iowa City and they were life flighting him over on a helicopter, that dude's going to be dead. We're praying. I'm praying on the way to the hospital, believing God for healing. There are many people in this room who were contacted instantly and they were praying and believing God for Bill's healing. When we get there, it doesn't look great. He's coming to and things are starting to settle in, but it doesn't look great. It looks like there's definite damage and there's, there's definite trauma. A few days go by, he's getting a little better face is weak and droopy, but he's getting better and he's alive and we're thanking God for that. A few more days go by and he's walking and the staff at the hospital is cheering him on in the hallway because they can't believe this man is actually walking. He was almost pronounced DOA, yet he's walking down the hallway. What do we do with that? A few days later, he's leaving the hospital. A few, uh, two weeks later, he's leaving the hospital. Massive, massive stroke. Should have killed him. Scar tissue's there. It's real. It's there. They can see it. Should have killed him. Few weeks, uh, two, three months later, he's at a graduation part, uh, uh, graduation ceremony. Has an issue, gets lightheaded, almost passes out. Thinks, oh my gosh, there's another stroke. Come back, it has nothing to do with the stroke. Has nothing to do with the issue that he had. Has something to do with something totally different. Basically, just got a little overheated. Now listen, you might say, well, that's just medical science, and you know, uh, the doctors misdiagnosed it in a rush because it was a panic. No, no, no. Let me, let me help you for a second. You can see the trauma on his brain. He shouldn't be doing what he's doing, and that trauma shouldn't be healed. That's only by God's power and provision that that man is healed. The supernatural happened. The gift of healing was exercised. And then later on, when the devil meant to attack again and steal away what he had taken from him, steal away, I'm sorry, what God had given him, steal away that healing that he had experienced a few months ago when he's sitting there slumped over in a high school gymnasium. He didn't panic. He thought about panicking. 
but he remembered what God had done. His wife was sitting there with him, and trust me, she's panicking, but she's also remembering, no, wait, I can calm my heart. Look what God has done. Healing has happened. Believe, trusted God, that in that moment he would be healed. Listen, for us today, the difference between experiencing the supernatural and the gifts of God is how you act in the moment God is moving. How do we act? Do we shut God off? Nope, not going to do it, not going to listen. No. Or do we step out in faith and say, you know what, I don't understand all this, but I'm going to take that first step of faith. I don't understand everything, God, that you're asking me to do, but I'm going to do it. When Jesus was on the earth and when he was trying to show his God state to his disciples, there was one point where they had been fishing all night. They had caught nothing. Nighttime was the time to fish. You got the biggest hole at that time. They brought their boats in and nothing. They were totally dry, totally empty. In fact, they're cleaning their nets. Jesus says to them, hey, uh, in the morning, he says to them, why don't you go out to this portion of the, of the water and why don't you cast your nets out? And they're like, dude, we did that. Nothing happened. But cool, you think you're smart and you're a rabbi and you're a teacher and you're well-respected, so maybe we'll try it. They take their boats out. What happens? Catch a few fish. Now they catch so many fish, it's dumping one boat, it's sinking one boat. The nets tear. They bring over a buddy. They take another haul in and it's starting to sink that boat. What happened? Even in their bad attitude, they stepped out, did what God said to do. Guess what? Biggest haul they'd ever caught in their life. It proves two things when God shows up in a miraculous way, even in our bad attitude. What it proves is one, if you'll listen, he'll do the miraculous. He'll do things in your life that you couldn't comprehend. But two, that if you'll listen, the provision on the backside of being obedient is phenomenal. It is bigger than you could ever imagine. It is grander than we could ever see. That those things that we think are empty and broken, that he can take us right out in the midst of where we failed before, and he will show off his might and his power and his strength, even through the gifts. Now, I believe in my heart that when, when God shows off in this way, this was a miracle. It's a gift that Paul lines out, the gift of miracles. That there are other gifts that Jesus exemplified as well. We don't have time to go through all of them. But why was Christ so ready and willing? Because he said the same statement that we need to be saying. Or the statement we need to be saying. I don't do anything unless my father says to do it. I don't do anything that I haven't seen him do first. I don't do anything in this life unless I know that it's he who sent me that wills that it be done. How does this happen? Get, get in your car. You're driving to work, you drive the same stinking route every single day. You drive the same route every single day. It's boring. It's monotonous. You know it. You know the map because you've laid the map out. The GPS has told you. Google said this is the fastest way to get from point A to point B. Listening to the Holy Spirit says this. Working in the miraculous, training our heart to hear from God so that we can jump into the miraculous in your own car, in your private time, says, God, is this the route I should take? And my, you might look at me and think, Nathan, Pastor Nathan, that's dumb. We know that's the fastest route. Google says it's the fastest route. Google's never wrong. So why would I ask God a different route? Here's why. 9-11 happened. 9-11 happened, and there were people specifically from a specific church in New York City who their pastor had been teaching on the gifts of the Spirit and how to hear God's voice. In that, in that morning, there were individuals who took different routes to work that slowed their time. That's why they weren't caught up in that. There were individuals who literally walked in the door and heard the spirit run. One particular man ran down into the subway and hid. 
before the planes hit. What I'm saying is, in our personal time, if we'll learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, even in the small things, these large miraculous things that he promises, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, a working of miracles, faith, tongues, interpretation of tongues, discerning of spirits, it will become commonplace because you're so in tune with his voice. As I said before, we become like what we worship. When we show him worship, we become more and more like him. So this morning, I want to encourage you. Man, are you zealous for the gifts Listen, this is how he starts out in this scripture that we read today, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 1. Pursue love. Make sure the centerpiece of your life is love. Come back to full circle around the idea of God's love for you and for the world around you. But then desire earnestly. Become zealous. That, that Japanese word that we learned a few weeks ago, otaku, become crazed with the spiritual gifts. It's not saying that you're going to be some weirdo, mystic, it's saying that you're going to be obsessed with hearing his voice so that when you hear his voice, you act, you operate, you do, and the miraculous will follow it. Stepping out in faith is simple in your own life. Do what God's saying to do on a daily basis. Prophesy to yourself. Okay, God, I need encouragement today. You said the biggest gift is the gift of prophecy, so I'm going to encourage myself in prophecy. Okay, boy, you got to get straight with God. you got to get lined up with his word. you got to read your word more. you got to pray more. you got to be more intense. And you know what? You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Any vain tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you will condemn. For this is the heritage of the children of God. You start to speak to yourself the prophetic word and then speak into existence your future. You're a great man of God. You are a great woman of God. You're going to do great things. Your kids are saved and following the will of God for their life. You start to speak the prophetic in your life and it becomes almost second nature to speak the prophetic in others. And then God starts to open up the door in a way that you've never seen possible. This morning, we're going to have folks come up after service to pray with you. If you've never experienced a gift, speaking in tongues or other, Maybe you've experienced the gift, but you're not sure of it, and you want to be more sure of it. There are folks up here ready, trained, willing to pray with you. Listen, they're not going to tell you to sit on the side of the stage and bark like a dog. Listen, they're not going to push you down hard concrete floor. They're not going to push you down. You crack your head. They're not going to take a modesty cloth and throw it over you so that you can weep and wail. And listen, if that happens, that's up to Jesus. But they're going to trust God that in a practical moment in time that he shows up and shows off on your behalf. That he proves to you that his word is real, that these scriptures are real, that these accounts are honest and true. You have to open up your heart. God, is this gift for me? If it is, I want it. I want it. Maybe you're that 10-year-old sitting on a swing. Go off by yourself in your own home and say to God, I'm open, whatever you want to do. Push aside this thoughts that this is crazy, this is goofy, I don't understand it. You're right, you're not going to until you experience it. Trust me, when it comes to the supernatural, and I don't care what of the gifts it is, you won't really get it until you experienced it. I've experienced healing for myself, but I've also experienced healing in the lives of others as I prayed. And there are times where I was looking at a situation thinking, dear Jesus, this is going to be bad. And God shows up and heals people. Before we leave, one, more, one last illustration. We were in Bible college. It was the first time I saw a massive healing, like someone supernaturally get healed in a way that had to be Jesus. 
There wasn't big fanfare around it either. It was just a gentleman in a wheelchair and his, and his dog, his service dog, came up to the front and asked to be prayed for after service. Comes up and asked to be prayed for, and in that moment, the person praying asked the story, well, how did you get in the wheelchair? Well, 10 plus years ago, I can't remember the exact date, I was hit by a train. Hit by a train and doing stupid things and shouldn't have been doing, but hit by a train. I've been confined to the wheelchair ever since, and it's messed up my life totally. Prayer partners, the individuals standing there ready to pray, prayed God, believed God for his situation. In, in moments, the man was standing, which he hadn't done in years. In a few minutes, he's walking, and all of a sudden, the church kind of stops and comes to a halt. Pastor gets back on the microphone. Whoa, 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 something miraculous is happening. We need to pay homage to what's going on. God is working in that man's life. They just told me he was hit by a train, and now he's walking. And it wasn't too many weeks later, he was, he was enrolled in the same Bible college I was, walking around like a normal student connecting with people, living life as he should be, pursuing his calling and the direction God had for him, not because he was perfect, not because he was good enough, not because those prayer partners were on fire and they were the most prayed up people in the church, not because they were holier than everyone else in that congregation, but because God sovereignly chose to act and there were people ready and willing to believe with him when he acted so that that man's life could be affected forever. In our lives, we have to recognize God's going to show up. He's, are you ready that moment he shows up? Are you ready for the miraculous to happen on your behalf? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I wish God worked in ways that he doesn't. Listen, I wish I could stand up here and eat anything I want to and just say, hey, Jesus, take away the calories and melt the fat. Hallelujah. Doesn't work that way. I wish it did. Oh, serious. Anyway. I'm, I'm thinking about Hertz Donuts all of a sudden. Like <laughs> just popped into my head. Hertz Donuts and a steak. I was like, dear Jesus, how many Weight Watchers points is that? Anyway, feels like I'm having that open vision where Paul said, these are cursed foods, and Jesus said, no, eat them. <laughs> At least that's what I'm going to tell myself when service is over. Um, anyway, come forward and believe God. Thank God. Believe God for the miraculous in your life. It will change you now and forever. And we are ready and willing to see God's power showing off in your life. Amen.